Kwaba. Welcome back to the Team Ghana U podcast, by size where you receive news, updates, discussion, and everything significant football and Ghana related. As always, I want you, the listeners, to be at involved by tweeting or emailing us for discussion or wanting more information. Hello and good evening all. Um, today is a good day to be Ghanaian. So today, um, the Ghanaian under-23s played Congo in the AFCONs, currently taking place in Egypt, and Ghana won 3-0 today. So that is fantastic news for Ghana um, in the opening game, obviously, in the AFCONs. And this tournament is in regards to those who will qualify for the Olympics in 2024. And I believe that is taking place in Paris. So today is a great day to be Ghanaian. Um, but I thought, let me just kind of list out the teams in the Black Meteors group. So we're in Group A and we're playing alongside Morocco, Congo and Guinea. Or Guinea, however you choose to pronounce it. Um, but the, the, the Olympic Games, sorry, is taking place in Paris next year. Um, so that's a tournament I'm very much looking forward to. And, well, apart from the fact that I think I need to kind of like provide this type of information, um, I actually wanted to talk about youth football today um, off the back of, I think it was our episode a fortnight ago. Um, and that was in regards to, actually, I forget the name of the of the, of the podcast, but um, what I did bring up was the current Ghanaian technical director, which his name is Bernard Lipper. So I thought I'd just kind of run through a bit of information in regards to him because I thought, actually, I think it's great um, raising him. But actually, let's find out a bit more information about him, but also the work he's currently doing in Ghana or certainly the plans that he currently has. And then I can lead on to what will be our next topic, which will be a bit about Saudi Arabia. So I've got an article here, which is from oh, Sports World Ghana. So I'm going to read part of it, but I'll name the title. The title is... We will give every talent equal opportunity, says Ghana FA Technical Director Bernard Lippert. And this was written on October the 5th, 2022. Oh, this is a three-minute read. Not too sure I'll read through all of it, but we'll soon see. The Technical Director of the GFA, Bernard Lippert, says his division would give equal opportunity to every talented footballer in the country to be selected into the under-17 national team. Um, he was speaking during the launch of the Elite Talent Identification Program on Wednesday, October the 5th, 2022, at the GFA Secretariat in Accra. The Elite Talent Identification Program, or project, sorry, is a program that will be implemented across the 10 regional football associations. Now, this is actually really, really good. And the reason why I say so is because I took part in something very similar to this when I was working at Fulham Football Club. So I've, re- I've read over this very, very briefly, but I like the structure of it thus far. And I think it's certainly a good start because based on the podcast I put, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, he was talking about, in an article, sorry, which was, um, sorry, just lost my attention, lost my attention, lost my focus, which was, sorry, that um, there's been no, um, come on, no Colts football for about say, the past five, ten years. So we're, we're essentially starting from the very, very beginning. But let me continue with the article. Um, Today is a very happy day for me as the technical director of the Football Association and the top management of the Football Association, of the the association, sorry. When I came to Ghana, everyone was talking about the Black Stars, but if we don't have challenges in the Black Stars, nobody's interested in what happens to the foundation of football. I didn't understand it when I first read it, but I think he meant if there's no one underneath, by way of the under-23s, the 17s, so on and so forth, challenging those to the first team, then it's very difficult to move forward, and I totally understand that. You know what? Not that I was sceptical last episode, but I had very little to gauge um, my thoughts on. 
um, and they kind of started off maybe a little bit negative, and that's maybe based on what I've seen in the past. But I like what I see, and I want to talk about his history momentarily. And today is the day where we implement things in a different way, from the bottom to the top. I think this will bring out good fruits in the next three to five years, and I think I agree with that. And the reason why I say so... Um, it's quite difficult to judge someone at this stage. I think all you can judge them on is the structures they put in place. Um, and you will never really see bear the, the, the fruit of that until, as he said, the next three to five years. We have a big foundation of top players and the elite program will work with two age groups, 11 to 14. Age 11 to 12 years will have a special training program where they will train two times a week. Sorry, sorry. Where a program where they will train two times a week and the same for the ages 13 to 14 over a 40 week period per year. Sorry, that wasn't really read well, wasn't really written well, sorry. We train with the 12 best players in each district and later identify them from the regional selection team to make up our 15s team. I like that. Um, it's mad because I think it'll be a little bit different. No, not that it'll be a little bit different in England, but I think the resources will be different in England. I think that the whole process will be sped up. But the reason why I think I like this is because actually starting from the very, very beginning in terms of something that is manageable and then something that he can scale later on. Um, sorry, the positive thing for me is to have a true scouting process for our youth national teams in the future. I think he's laying good foundations. We will have, sorry, we will give every child the chance to dream because in the past we lost and forgot about a lot of players in hidden areas. That always happens, particularly, not even particularly. I think when you don't have, when you don't, ha so based on the past and based on what I've seen, as to people kind of like just picking based on recommendation, if you've got no Colts football, then that type of stuff will happen. You have loads of image, hidden gems, sorry, just going missing. But sorry, he talks um, from Brong. Aha, ooh, I can't even pronounce that, but let me let me spell it actually. B R O N G A H A F O. Really poor for me. I should be able to pronounce that. To the upper west. But with time, we'll get there. I like what I hear. We will cover the we'll cover all the country and roll out this elite program nationwide. We have to make the children of Ghana dream and give everyone the same opportunity to develop. We have to create a book for this called Elite Training Project, not only for elite training, but for all talents, including coaches and players in the country. You can break it down to the easiest level because there are enough exercises in the book, which we already discussed with Professor Mintar to align it in, the, in our coaches' courses. Sorry, All courses in the country are informed about this book, our football philosophy, which will also be presented later. This is a big step and no coach will be without this book in the future. Last paragraph, the elite training project will be used by scouts, coaches, talent developers in the various regional football associations to hunt for young talented footballers who will be the base of the national team. Now, I'll be honest, I like this. And if this is just his, if this is just the very beginning, then I like what we hear. But obviously, in order for this to be progressive and to bear more fruit in the future, obviously it'll need to be a bit more, I don't want to say dynamic, but a bit more, um, um, well, you'll need to be a bit more dynamic, you know, have a bit more, um, a bit more depth, if that makes any sense. When I mean depth, I'm talking about by way of operation. Um, so at this moment in time, you're talking about selecting only 12 from here and here and so on and so forth. And although uh, a squad will make up of 12 to 18, I think, um, if you're, I think you need to coach more than 12 people or 12 players, sorry, in a league group. Well, I think you, well, I hope you understand the point I'm making. Um, but let's just go through his background. Um, so the current director of the GFA, footballing director or sporting director. Um, so he was a FIFA coaching instructor. 
Um, he was a FIFA coaching instructor. Um, he's currently 50 years eight. Sorry, 50 years eight. He's currently 58 years of age. Um, and from what I saw, he's got an extensive um, background, I think, in working in Germany. Um, but it says the former footballer and highly respected coach's trainer is fluent in English, Spanish and German. Bernard Lippen has been appointed as the technical director after a process which saw over 100 coaches apply for the job, with six technical personalities being shortlisted for the for further interviews. Three Ghanaian coaches and three foreign coaches. It's funny, not funny I say that, but the coincidence in that is actually the next article I'm going to write is I want to find out a lot more about some of the most talented Ghanaian coaches um, at this moment in time, but also in the past as well. And that's something that I'll be looking to publish within the next eight week or so. Um, but I'm quite impressed with what I see. Very impressed with what I see. Also, I think it's a very, very good start because I thought things had gone a little bit quiet on the whole GFA front. And my intention was to do actually a review of how the 2022-23 season has been in general for either Ghanaian teams, Ghanaian coaches, and I guess the GFA in general. And I and I think I will actually do that um, probably next week. Sorry, next um, episode, which will be in a fortnight. But based on what I've seen here, I think this is this is quite good. This is quite good. This is quite good. So just last thing, just to provide a bit more information on his past. Um, so it says, until his appointment, Lipper was technical director of the association, sorry, the football association in Azerbaijan, a position he occupied for 12 years. I'll definitely do a bit more research in regards to that. He was also the head coach of Azerbaijan, sorry, under 17, 19s and under 21s and played a vital role in, in Azerbaijan qualifying for the first time in the country's history to the elite round of their respective European competitions. He also achieved the best result with the 21s in the history of the country in terms of qualifying. Lippert was head coach of Antrecht Frankfurt, Frankfurt between 98 and 99, where he also served as an assistant coach. Youth, oh, he was also a youth education supervisor and head coach of the under-23s on different occasions. Okay, 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 okay. Our last point. At Frankfurt, he trained and developed over 20 players in the youth system of the club to become regular players in the Bundesliga. Okay, this is good information. Very good information. I like this. I like this. Okay, superb. Okay, my next topic was, I think over the past couple of weeks, there's been a lot of information, a lot of talk in regards to Saudi Arabia. And I just kind of like thought to myself, like, how is that going to play out in regards to Ghanaian football? Like, and the reason why I say that, I'm talking about how is it going to play out by way of trickling down? And sorry, let me just kind of like start off with the, with the, with the big, with the big, with the big quote. So like over the past couple of days, I think it came out from both Gary Neville, but, and also, um, Jamie Carragher, that there needs to be some form of an investigation as to some of the Saudi, um, transitions or certainly transfers, because a lot of players have been moving from the Premier League to Saudi Arabia. But not only that, I thought, let me do a little bit more investigating or just actually open my eyes a little bit more. And they're not only moving from the Premier League, they're moving from other clubs as well, in La Liga, etc., etc. Of course, Karim Benzema is the most notable player from La Liga to go to um, Saudi Arabia. But there's a lot of players moving at the same time to one league, which is cool in some respect. But um, I think it's kind of like, um, um, like put, it's concerning people, you know, as to... The thing is, I'm not even too sure why it's concerning people. I think because a lot of the notion, or the notion obviously going around in regards to Saudi Arabia is that, you know, about them morally. And I think I mentioned this in the, the previous episode as well. Uh, but also, not where they're getting their money from, because we know it's oil money. But there's a lot of um, 
um, controversy in regards to the morality or some of the laws in the country and some of their human right acts and so on and so forth. But also there's talk of them potentially, I don't want to say buying, but a lot of the work they're currently doing is going towards wanting to have the World Cup, and I think it's in 2030, or even the following World Cup. Likewise, a lot of their the work they've done as to um, what they've invested into boxing, but also in golf as well. So people are concerned with the um, with the rate in which it's currently happened. Um, but I was thinking to myself, how is that going to actually impact like Ghanaian players going forward in terms of okay, with a, with a lot of the money in the Premier League, a lot of that t- not in the Premier League, yeah, with a lot of money. If a, sorry, let me start again. Like more often than not. Like, if a lot of money is being spent at the top, at some way, or sorry, at some given point, the money will trickle down. And I guess my questions or my thoughts is, how will that potentially impact Ghana or Ghanaian players? And the reason why I say that is because I'm going to mention an article that I'm going to I'm going to read momentarily, which is Saudi Arabian Football Federation signs MOU. I'm not even too sure what that means with Ghanaian counterparts, but it made me think of the proposal for the Saudi Arabians to invest in the African Champions League. And it makes me think, okay, cool, there's a lot more work being done. It's not just being done, you know, on the front end by way of what I can currently see here in the UK. There's a lot of work being done around the world. And I'm very interested to see, obviously, how that will affect Ghana and football going forward. Um, I'm interested in the good, bad and the ugly. So I just want to know. Um, so the title of this article, and it's come from Arab News, is Saudi Arabian Football Association signs Moo with Ghanaian, Ghanaian counterparts. And I'm actually going to, as I speak, find out what Moo means. Let me see. Um, Memorandum of Understanding. Okay, cool. So it's just an agreement. Okay, fantastic. So let me just go through this article very quickly. So this is from Arab News. Um, the Saudi Arabian Football Association has announced the signing of a Memorandum of Understanding with the, Ga- with, sorry, with the Ghana Football Association. Um, SAF, which is um, Saudi Arabian Football Federation president um, and the Ghanaian president, put pen to paper and signed a ceremony held at the Saudi House in Doha. The agreement aims to develop strong relations between the two federations to help promote, grow... Sorry, there were not the words. Let me just say the words. Um, Help the promotion, growth and success of football at all levels. It provides a framework for collaboration across the areas of the game, from grassroots to elite football, including youth and women's football. SAF is committed to hosting both the Ghanaian men's and women's national teams for matches and training camps, as well as exchanges for key experts across areas related to coaching, refereeing, or administrative matters. Again, I think this is quite important, or I think it's really cool, because I guess what you're doing is you're enhancing the education of um, of course, you're supporting Saudi Arabia, but also your your well. Hopefully, they're they're not. Hopefully, they will be benefiting us as well in regards to business and well admi- administration matters, coaching, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think it's really important. But the point I wanted to highlight is the work um, Kurt Cracker is doing. Is I think he signed a number of these agreements, knowing not knowingly, but I think one was definitely with Spain, and I'm sure there's some there's been some other ones as well. Or I hope, or I like to believe there's been some other ones as well. But let me continue. Apologies if you can hear that noise. That's a fan in the background. Currently experiencing some extreme heat. Anyway, we're excited to establish the this move with the Ghana Football Association and create this partnership moving forward. The quality and talent in Ghanaian football is known across the world and we at SAF are keen to work closely together to allow our youngsters to gain valuable playing experience while benefiting 
from their key insights and strengths. We look forward to working together in a meaningful manner and open up mutual beneficial opportunities. I think this is um, very true in some respects, actually, um, in that Ghanaian footballers are known around the world. And actually, my eyes are not closed as to what I saw in at the World Cup in Qatar as to Saudi Arabians being very, very good. I can't remember if they qualified for the next round. But for me, they were very, very good. And I imagine that'll be something that they'll be working on going forward. But also, the youth teams will, will be very good there as well. So I think it's a very, very good um, partnership um, going forward. I like that. Um, commenting on the new partnership, um, Simeon Okraku, Ghana, sorry, Simeon Okraku said, Ghana has a long-standing relationship with Saudi Arabia. And it's not only right that we expand this level of cooperation to football, an area that unites people. Understood. Sorry. It's only right that we expand this level of cooperation to football. An area that unites people. Well said, I like that. Finishing. SAF is investing across player pathways, competition, women's football, technology, workforce, hosting and governance. Over the three years, women's football in Saudi Arabia experienced unprecedented investment in areas such as grassroots player development, competitions, coaching, refereeing and governance. As a result, SAF expresses interest in bidding for the 2026 Women's Women's Asian Cup established. Sorry, let me start again. As a result, SAF expressed its interest in bidding for the 2026 World Asian Women's Asian Cup. Sorry, established the country's first women's national team last year, followed by the inaugural Women's Football League and Girls School League. Sorry, um, yeah, I like that. I like that. Well, I like the work they're, do they're doing anyway in terms of develop developing football. And I like the fact that this partnership has come to fruition because I think education by way of um, each one teach one, um, but there are other um, um, terms and things like that as well, I think is really, really important. I think partnerships is the way that you're going to grow. Um, and moving on. Aha. I have another article here. How Saudi Arabia's huge spending will reshape football in the Middle East. Okay, so I think this will be interesting, and I think this will be the last article I go through. I think it'll be interesting because I think it may give some insight in regards to how it may potentially even impact Ghanaian football. And the reason why I say Ghanaian football, or African football, sorry, is because obviously they have an interest in collaborating or partnering with CAF as to the Champions League. The title, not the title, sorry. The title is How Saudi Arabia's Huge Spending Will Reshape Football in the Middle East. And this article has come from MiddleEastEye.net. From attracting footballers in neighbouring countries to monopolising commercial deals, Saudi Arabia, also Saudi investment, has wide implications on the region. Saudi Arabia has long been a powerhouse of football in the Middle East. The national team has won six World Cup appearances and two Asian Cups, while several of the several of its club sides have excelled in the Asian Champions League. But now the country has even bigger global ambitions that will have far-reaching implications on the rest of the region. In December, Riyadh club Al Nassar signed Cristiano Ronaldo, one of the best players in the game's history and the most popular person on Instagram with almost 600 million followers. Again, like kind of like bringing eyeballs to the league because since then, as I mentioned before, a lot of players are now moving to the Saudi League. When Cristiano Ronaldo said that he believed um, the Saudi League would become potentially the top five leagues in the world, not that I didn't believe him, but I was like, oh, yeah, that's what you're supposed to say. But actually, of the work over the past couple of weeks... It wouldn't surprise me if that happened over the next five to ten years. Top five might be a bit of a reach, but I think like the work they're doing, I think um, is definitely making an impact. I think the fact that someone like um, oh no, I was gonna say Neto. It's not Neto. It is um, Portuguese player to 
<clears throat> Portuguese um, player to Saudi. Sorry, I want to get his name. Oh, Andrew. <clears throat> oh God, let me just write Wolves player to Saudi. Wolves player to Saudi. Ruben Neves, oh, captain of yeah. Ruben Neves got to forty-seven million pounds. That's a statement, man. That's a statement, and I'm talking about getting Bernardo Silva as well. It's a massive statement. But anyway, let me continue with the article. Um, let me find it. I've lost it. Ah, oh, here we are. <clears throat> His impact was immediate. Alnasar's Instagram following jumped from under one million to almost fifteen million. Broadcast rights to the league were almost were reportedly sold to thirty-six overseas territories. They're making moves, man. Making moves. And and the reason why it's funny because like I was thinking about I think there's a there was a documentary, and I'm going to find this as we speak as well, where Gary Neville spoke to um someone from Qatar. Oh, what have I done? It's right, Sky and Qatar. We spoke to someone from Qatar, and I just thought it was—I just—it was like a, a real insightful documentary in regards to what they doing, what they're doing, and why. Um, and I just recommend that people go watch it, and hopefully I can find it. Countdown, sorry, Countdown to Qatar, and I think I'm gonna watch this again. So yeah, Gary Neville's Countdown to Qatar, um, the overlap extra. So I advise people to go watch that, and I think if you listen to, I guess, um, I forget the name of the guy who was actually running the bid. Like you, people, you, you just think people just think they're just throwing money around, but this is all strategic, and we will see if it comes crashing down in some respect because also we know we had this sort of thing with Chinese football not too long ago. Um, but I just think the Saudis are here to stay, so it'll be really, really, really interesting to see. We'll see where they go. Um, but he talks about their following. <coughs> Sorry, <coughs> probably he talks about their following. One one who's going to move past that. Um, Qatari fans excited. As we know, we'll see Qatar are talking about, or a Qatari group, I believe, are talking about buying Manchester United. Regional neighbours and sporting rivals are watching these developments closely. Saudi Arabia's league is already the dominant league in the region in terms of popularity. In popularity. The club's... Sorry. Mohamed El Gabawi. We'll go with that. Um, but I'll spell it. E-L hyphen G-H-A-R-B-A-W-Y sports journalist and founder of Football Qatar, I'll have a read of that, told Middle East Eye, the clubs are the strongest and will become even stronger. Fans in nearby countries could make more trips to Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia, sorry, taking up the chance to witness legendary players in, in improving the, um, the, the their tourism. I was listening to someone talk about that, actually, funny enough, it was um, Chizo Lifts on YouTube and I didn't quite, he said something along those lines and I didn't really buy it at first. Um, or someone said it, and I didn't really buy it at first, but it makes a lot of sense, um, to be fair. Um, on social media, among local players, among local supporters in Qatar, and from conversations with football-loving friends, most of them are excited. It means that Saudi Arabia is becoming the league that players interested in a move... Anyway, play people are interested in moving to Saudi Arabia. Um, let's... I want to find something a bit more... Something with a bit more substance. Uh, in fact, no, it, not that it doesn't have some, it, it doesn't have substance. I just want to see how it's going to affect maybe Ghanaian football going forward. I might read, read one more paragraph and, and sum up the uh, podcast or bring the podcast to close. Okay, state-backed investment. I think this might be an interesting part to the article. The Saudi, the Saudis league, sorry, the Saudis league's four biggest clubs 
were taken recent were, were recently taken over by Saudi Arabia's private investment fund. Jesus Christ, PIF. That's the that's the the fund that people keep talking about, marking the first steps towards privatize, privatization. This development is potentially even more significant than the arrival of the famous foreign players and coaches. And I agree because I think that is probably more long term than the players who are going to be here short term. What is significant about the privatization process in Saudi Arabia is that it is intended to enhance the commercial performance of Saudi Saudi Arabia's pro league clubs. Simon Chadwick, professor of sport and geopolitical economic, sorry, Simon Chadwick, professor and sport, professor of sport and geopolitical economic economy at Schema Business School, told me. Sorry, something I just want to add to that was oh no, I think I'm going to forget what it was. Um, sorry, how a, how a private fund has taken over clubs. And I think if something very similar happened in Ghana, it'd be very interesting to see obviously where that goes or, or what would happen with that. Obviously, we know Saudi um, state funds and, and PIF obviously have a lot of money, but that's not to say that Ghanaian people don't, sorry, African people, sorry, don't have a lot of money. This doesn't necessarily have to be a Ghanaian thing. Um, but let me continue because I just, I just, I just want the betterment of, of African football. We are talking about revenue generation in broadcasting, sponsorship, and other commercial deals, merchandising, and possibly even from in inwards investment. Investment. Don't know what that means. We'll Google that though. Um, Chadwick adds that the authorities want to see these four clubs become commercial giants. My goodness. The target is for the quartet to join other global brands like Manchester United, Real Madrid, and Bayern Munich in the top twenty rankings of the Deloitte Money League, which lists the clubs that generate the most revenue in the world. That is one hell of a powerful statement. Powerful statement. Hmm. It may sound far-fetched, but significant investment in sport can bring rapid change, correct? That was demonstrated in shocking clarity in June, when Saudi money bought seismic changes in golf as the PIF Finance Live Golf Series merged with the long-established and prestigious G PGA Tour. I mentioned that in the last in the last um, the last episode. That was the title of the last episode. Big changes happen in football, man. Big changes. The commercial implications could have a considerable impact on football in the Middle East and North Africa. Yeah, yeah. Mina. Ah, in fact, I'm going to read that. That's next. The okay opportunities for Mina footballers. Okay, the commercial implications. Oh, that's what I just said. The big concern is that Saudi Arabia dominates and there is a crowding out effect. And Morocco, Egypt and the UAE, Qatar, can't offer the same level of returns for sponsor, broadcast and investors. Okay, cool. This means that Saudi Arabia is able to monopolize lucrative deals that come through and the virtuous cycle is that Saudi Arabia gets richer and richer and others get poorer and poorer. Yeah. Well, ignore the Saudis at your peril. That's another, that's a, another, what you call it, another section to it. Wow. Yeah, talking about the 2030 World Cup or the 2034 World Cup. Jesus Christ. Anyway, this is a very good article, man. Middle East Eye. This was um, written on... Oh! Oh, this is only the other day. June the 18th. By, I'll say his name, by John um, Durden. D-U-E-R-D-E-N. So it said it was published a week ago. Lovely. Great article, John. I like it. Okay. Opportunities for MENA footballers. For players from the region, though, Saudi Arabia's rise will provide lucrative opportunities. Some are already 
Some are already there. Egyptian internationals like um, Ahmed Hegazi and Tariq Ahmed played, for vi- played vital roles as Al Litihad became league champions in May. There are Algerians, Tunisians and Moroccans too. But the, best play- but the best players from these countries usually head to big European clubs. Now this is why I believe there'll be opportunities for Ghanaian footballers. Because if they're doing their talent ID and doing their due diligence, they'll find some nuggets in Ghana. That may be set to change. Al Ali have been linked to Riyad Mahrez, Algeria's biggest star who plays for English and European champions Manchester City. While Morocco's World Cup heroes Hakim Ziyech and Yassin Bono have also been linked with the Saudis' moves. Move, sorry. Countries who don't regularly export talent overseas may also benefit from Saudi salaries and rising footballing standards. Ghanaians, Africans, Ghanaians, I think this is where the benefit, not a benefit, but I think this is where you'll see the trickling effect. And I've also seen like on one or two websites or, or certainly posts or sorry, social media posts that Ghanaian players are going to Saudi Arabia, like there's been a transfer or two. Continuing, Saudi Arabia hasn't really been a destination for Iraqi players in the past. Okay, that's just like a journalist said. However, if there was an up-and-coming talent from the Iraqi league, like Mohamed Ali a few years ago, then Saudi Arabia would be an opportunity to play for some of the best clubs in Asia, and also among some of the best footballers in the world. I see this is where this is going. I'm concluding. It could be beneficial for Iran too. Saudi Arabia's continental football rival is also a powerhouse of the sport. But there is also but there is but there is little money in the Iranian domestic league. My goodness, this is gonna be like like a magnet, it's gonna vacuum all the best players. But not, oh, yeah, all, all players. Um US led sanctions are a major factor as clubs and federations struggle to collect money owed from overseas. With the recent restoration of diplomatic ties between Tehran and Rida, or Riyadh, sorry, the timing could be perfect. Almost all Iranian clubs have economic problems and could use transfer fees to cover some of their debts. Iranian football commentator um, Benam Benam um, Jafar, Jafar Zeda, J A F A R Z A D E H told me, M-double-E, I think that's a publication, um, the Iranian Real is now 500000 to the dollar, and the Saudi League is not too far away and very attractive for many reasons. Now, that's, the, that's, the, that's so not the finish in the article, but that's the last part of the article I'm going to read. Now, what I'm going to say, oh, me is, oh, sorry, Andrew, so silly. Me is the Middle East eye. Um, what I'm going to say, or certainly conclusion, is... Like, I think it's been really, really interesting to see, obviously, how this pans out in the next couple of weeks. Certainly, over this transfer period, you know what I mean? You've got um, N'Golo Kante, who's recently gone. I mentioned before, I've seen some Ghanaians go. Players from other players from the Premier League. Um, you've got players from definitely Italy, which surprised me. And certainly Spain, I've gone there as well. So, I think it'll be an interesting topic to watch over the next couple of weeks. Definitely over the next couple of months. And I think there's really, really small things that won't necessarily make the mainstream media, which I think would be really interesting to kind of like keep your keen eye on, such as the, well, I can't find it now, the, the, um, sorry, the, the MOU, the MOU, the Memorandum of Understanding, I think it's called, and between Ghana and the Saudi Arabian Football Association, and just see how that pans out and see where the developments lead. Now, what I'll say, based on what I've seen, I think Kurt Kraku has done some really, really good, good work in recent time. And although this year, Based on what I've seen 
um, based on what I've seen or what I think I've seen, it appears to be a bit quiet, but I think a lot of good work's been done. Um, so I think this will be really interesting to follow and see how it pans out over the next couple, yeah, couple of years, really. I think some of his work now may not see the fruit or may not bear fruit for the next, say, three to five years. So I think it'll be really interesting. Anyway, thank you for listening. I think it's been really interesting, this, this, um, this podcast, and I'm going to listen back over it, actually. Um, and just find out some information, find out more information, because there's some information I'm taking in firsthand as I do this podcast. So thank you again, guys, and take care. That's it for this week's episode. We'll be posting as usual via social media, keeping up with the stories and unfold in the coming weeks. As always, you've got any questions or queries, email us at teamgarnieu at gmail.com or tweet or DM us at teamgarnieu on IG or Twitter. Thank you. Take care. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm.